Okay. Good morning. So we have been on a journey together for the whole month. And we have been looking at the nativity, looking at its symbology, and and asking ourselves, what is it about this story amongst other stories that has kept it so prevalent in our culture for so many years? Centuries and centuries and centuries. Why? Why this story? And we've been looking at each component of the story and looking at what was true back in that time and reframing this story a little bit. So we began by talking about the manger, about the the stable and the manger. And one of the first things that we learned was we didn't have a stable out back if we were living where Jesus would have been born. There was no such thing as the stable out back. There was one house, one structure, very, very modest house with an upper level where the family would walk up a ladder and join together and a lower level. And in the lower level, there was a stable and also the kitchen. And at night, the animals were brought inside. That's how they kept the house warm. There was no central heating. So the animals came in and they kept the house warm. They, we also learned that in Jewish culture, and remember this family was Jewish, that in Jewish culture, it would have been unthinkable to send someone away who was part of your family. Everyone was sent by Caesar Augustus to their place, the place their family originated from to be counted. So if you showed up at a family home to be counted, it would have been unthinkable for somebody to say, sorry, we have no room for you. They would have said, come on in. Besides that, Mary was pregnant to here. They would not have sent her anywhere. They would have put her in the warmest place in the house and all the Jewish mothers would have gathered around her to make sure that she was good. So this is an important thing for us to know because it tells us we can birth our Christ self right here amongst all of the family who is sharing space with us, amongst all of the people in our lives in the busiest time of everybody coming together. We don't have to make quiet space because that is not what happened in that Jewish household. It was packed. We also learned that in the seventh century, we picked up a story about the ox and the ass who you will see back in the back because Peg Nugent was kind enough to bring me the ones from her nativity set. And that we picked up this story that said Jesus was born between an ox and an ass. So again, we went back to Jewish culture and said, what does that mean? One is clean and one is unclean in Jewish culture. It reminds us that to go through this process, we have to be in constant awareness of our judgment most especially our judgment about our own worth. That we either see ourselves as worthy or we see ourselves as unworthy of birthing our own Christ consciousness. And the reality is we probably bounce between those two things, don't we? On a pretty regular basis. Then last week, we talked about the angel. And we talked about the angel showing up to the shepherds. Shepherds are responsible for many sheep. 
And we talked about the correlation between the thoughts in our mind, the thoughts who wander, who sometimes fall off the cliff if we don't go and catch them and pull them back. Have you ever had one of those thoughts that wandered and you felt it going over the cliff and grabbed it right before you went to the worst thing you could possibly think of? So we talked about how, the, how we shepherd our thoughts and we bring them back and how in our mind there is a divine messenger. There is a holy already in us that shows up as the angel did in this story and says, don't be afraid. I have a new idea for you. And at first we're what? <laughs> a new idea. I like things so much just the way they are. Why do I have to think something new? Oh yeah, cool, shiny. Let's see what that's about, right? So we talked about how we have to shepherd our thoughts in order to follow new ideas. Otherwise, we're running out to the cliff's edge all the time rather than being able to steer our thoughts where they need to go and to be guided by the divine as we do so. So that catches you up if, you, if you're just joining us. Today, we're going to complete our story of the nativity by talking about the three kings. And remember that the shepherds show up in the story that we find. That this story only shows up in two books in the Bible. It shows up in Luke and it shows up in Matthew. And so in Luke, the angel and a choir of angels appeared to the shepherds. In Matthew, there are no shepherds. Uh, a, there are three kings. So I want you, before we talk about this, to watch this ABC news story about the three kings. Paul, will you play that for us, please? An ancient story that is woven into the fabric of this Christmas season, and yet it remains mysterious until, perhaps, now. It's the story of the three kings who came bearing gifts to worship the infant Jesus, the Magi. And it's straight from the Gospel of Matthew, wise men came from the east. The verse reads, but who were the Magi? Incredibly, a new discovery has offered new insight into that question, and the revelation of the Magi is tonight's Faith Matters. <laughs> It is one of the most mysterious and meaningful journeys in all the world. A hard journey across fierce deserts and forbidding mountains. A journey that is told and retold every year at Christmas time. The journey of the Magi. In every nativity scene for nearly 2,000 years, there they are. The three wise men from the east bearing their gifts. Who were they? In the Holy Land, where we traveled last week, they are still wondering. They represent blessing, maybe unexpected blessing. Paul Wright is the president of the Jerusalem University College, and like so many biblical scholars, he sees in the journey of the Magi deep, resonant meaning. There's something here, there's something about, about coming from the East into this land of Canaan, of Israel, the area of Jerusalem, that brings people home to the place they're supposed to be. Somehow they were coming to a place that they belonged. The story of the Magi is poetically brief, just 12 verses in the Gospel according to Matthew. That's all. 
But now a rediscovery of an ancient text has sparked new debate. It's called the Revelation of the Magi, and amazingly, it purports to be the account of that wondrous journey by the Magi themselves. It ends up being the most uh, complex, the richest, most strange, the strangest story about the wise men to come out of Christian antiquity. And until now, it had never been translated into English. Brent Landau translated the work, which has just been published. He's a scholar of ancient biblical languages and teaches at the University of Oklahoma. So this is, on its surface, their own story. It's an incredibly grand story. So who the Magi are in this text is they are descendants of Adam and Eve's third son, Seth. They live in this far eastern land. The text calls the land Shear, and from other ancient texts, it seems like the place it had in mind is, is the land of China. And these Magi are practicing their rituals year after year in, in expectation of the star's coming, and eventually the star comes. The star comes, and it leads them, of course, to Bethlehem. And so that's where we went, to the city of David, modern. Noisy chock-a-block with eye-popping displays of nativity crafts, trinkets, and mementos. But in the middle of it stands, in massive serenity, the Church of the Nativity, built where tradition holds that Jesus Christ was born. Down through the centuries, countless pilgrims have come this way, to the place where, in the belief of all Christians, God himself entered human history. And the hustle and bustle of modern Bethlehem, it's hard to get a feel for that, until you bow your head and go through this ancient door. To this day, from all over the world, they come. They come so many because they believe. They have followed what they believe to be the light, just like the Magi in Matthew's Gospel. In biblical times, travelers from the east would have come up to Bethlehem over these dry desert hills. And even today, 2,000 years later, it's easy to imagine them, the caravans coming up over the ridgelines on that long, hard journey, which would have taken months or even years. So let's talk about the east. At the time of the birth of Jesus, who would have crossed this desert? Was there anybody who would have come from the east as the Gospel of Matthew says the wise men, the Magi, did? Yes, there are roads which lead up to Bethlehem, especially from the, the, the south uh, east. Helping us map this ancient route, Shimon Gibson, a biblical archaeologist and author of several books, including The Final Days of Jesus, the Archaeological Evidence. Indeed, there is one road which goes all the way uh, to uh, China, and uh, it's called a spice hood. And this is where we are at the moment. We're uh, next to one of those sort of roads which came up from the desert. And so it would have been a common sight, I think, at the time of Jesus to see uh, tradesmen coming along with their caravans, with their wagons. So you can see uh, in this landscape what the Gospel of Matthew depicts, a caravan of men from the east, maybe even on camels. So there's a sense there, whether or not we can prove that, that those specific wise men came to Bethlehem, it's an impossibility. But there's a tradition there which is linked into a certain reality. 
Scholars debate the historical reality of the Magi story, but the meaning of their miraculous journey has been a part of Christian worship from the very beginning. This is the kind of a story that is evocative enough, mysterious enough, magical enough, if you will, and historical enough to ground down into, to be rooted in, to see ourselves in, either as giver or recipient, for instance. And at the same time, to want to make the story our own. That's exactly what an unknown writer did more than 1,700 years ago in The Revelation of the Magi. It's a very ancient text. It's, it, it's extremely old. Yes, absolutely. Brent Landau translated The Revelation of the Magi from the only known copy of it, written in Syriac and kept in the Vatican Library. It's a very different story from the traditional one. The star is the most startling and mystical difference. The star kind of, its light concentrates and reveals the small, luminous human being. The star becomes a star child, if you will. And it's God. It's, it's Christ. As excited as they are, though, Christ tells them this is one of many occasions on which I have appeared to the peoples of the world. So this text maybe even is saying that there are no non-Christian religions because Christ is, is the revel revelation behind everything. In every faith there is Christ. Yes. That's what the revelation of the Magi is saying. That's what I think it's saying. A controversial message, but also one filled with awe and wonder. The emotions written on so many faces in the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, the Magi's destination. Every day they come to this place, to the back of the church, and step down into a tiny grotto. This is the end of the journey. By an ancient tradition, this star down here marks the spot. What was it like, that transforming moment for so much of the world, that birth at the hinge of history? If you, uh, 2,000 years ago, were arriving in Bethlehem and somebody said, we're going to give you the stable to sleep in, it, this is not, uh, they're not trying to sort of be rude to you. They're actually being nice because Why? it's the warmest woman in the house. It's fascinating. So from a standpoint of biblical archaeology, the nativity story makes sense. You can see it. You can visualize it. Yes. Um, uh, if we look at the, the archaeological and historical data that we have, uh, the story, as presented in the Gospels, makes sense. Fireworks on the night the Christmas lights went on in Manger Square in Bethlehem, a different kind of celebration of the season. But for so many around the world, the significance of Bethlehem is the same and abides, echoing everywhere in that familiar carol. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. So, there you have Incredibly, it. Incredibly, a new... <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Kind of interesting. I interesting to, first of all, consider that there was already a spice road, a spice route from China all the way to Bethlehem. Interesting to consider, and again, not my job to, to tell you whether this is literal or fictional. Not my job. My job is to get you to look at the story. What is the story teaching us? So we see the three wise men as 
being at the nativity itself, at the birth. But in actuality, historically, it's believed they would have arrived when Jesus was about two. They would have arrived then because they would have, from the time they would have seen the star to the time it would have taken them to arrive would have been about two years. A little bit different than what we have here. It answers a question. You guys got a little baggy when you came in, yes? So you have some cool things in there. You have a piece that is dark. That's myrrh. If you didn't get one, raise your hand and, and uh, Julie will bring you one. Then you have some little uh, kind of teardrop pieces that are lighter. Those are frankincense. And you can smell them. And then you have as close as I can get you to gold. <laughs> and for some of us who like chocolate, that's gold enough. So there's a little, a little gold in there. So the question is, why these gifts? First of all, let's talk about the kings who arrived. The kings or magi. If they had come from the Persian realm, which is what is believed, that they actually came out of Persia, if they had come from Persia, they may likely have been astrologers because they traveled the way the priests, the Persian priests would have traveled, carrying the items that the Persian priests would have carried. This is significant because what would have been carried along the spice road is turmeric and pepper and uh, spices, actual spices. The people who carried these particular resins were priests who used them in ceremony. And that's why they came. This is not something, this is not a spice that would have necessarily traveled along the, the all the way from China. This particular resin comes from Persia. So, so there are, there are things for us to ask again about this story. Why three kings? Nothing in the Bible says, by the way, three. We have no idea how many kings or magi there were. Nothing says three. The one consistent piece that we have is there were three gifts. So what do the magi represent? What do the kings represent? Well, first of all, what do you think? What do they represent? Leaders of importance. What else? Knowledge. Knowledge. What else? Wealth. Wealth. What else? Those who see the light. Anything else? Persistence. Boy, yeah. It's a long journey to your Christ self. That's what we get from this, right? You have to keep your eye on the prize and get your way there. It's a long journey. And these particular travelers are notably important leaders. They have something unique. They have sovereignty. Whether we, we position them as kings or we position them as priests, they are sovereign unto themselves. This is an important piece of the story. No one else can take this journey for you. No one can give you this journey. And as your sovereign self, you have the right to take this journey. You have 
the power and the authority to step out on this journey in your physical form as you are right now today coming from wherever you came from and simply following your own divine guidance you have the right and the authority to take this journey towards yourself your most divine holy sacred self really important isn't it really important so the kings came and they brought some interesting gifts they brought gold and they brought frankincense and they brought they bought myrrh and so we have to think about what these things meant back then so frankincense at the time and sometimes a little bit of myrrh were used in the jewish temples today they are not and in in uh, early christianity they weren't because they were seen they were ground up and used to make incense that was burned in the temples and that was too similar to the pagan temples and so there was a period of time in christianity where um, incense was taken out of the temples we weren't allowed to use it there there also uh, is a time it was brought back by the catholic church which interestingly by the way did you hear where the book was uh, in the vatican that's where it was kept i want to know how this guy got it out of there that's well, pretty powerful that he was able to go in this book by the way you can order online revelations of the magi if you're interested in that deeper story that book is available and you can purchase it uh, by the author so these things have significance let's start with our with our gold what do you have if you have gold you have power what else do you have wealth you have everything you need if you have gold, don't you? On the planet, in your physical form, if you have gold, you can purchase what you need. So let's talk for a minute about gold because you were born with gold. You just don't know it. This was the prettiest towel I could find in the kitchen. By the way, we are in need of kitchen towels. <laughs> if you would like to notice, if you'd like to order, you can uh, donate some, you can. Um, this is actually a napkin, I think. So let me just say to you, what if there is a substance that is the universe underneath everything, something that lies underneath and everything emerges from. So let's just say we can take that substance and with the help of my trusty rubber bands here. We're going to give this substance a little bit of a pointy head. There we go. And an arm. I think this thing should have two arms. What do you think? That'll work. Sometimes I think we need more than two. Those of you who are parents of toddlers, I know you're with me on this. A little bit of a waste and then we'll just make it a girl how's that <laughs> all right something totally brand new what's it made out of same substance the underlying substance of the universe which we call god we call 
life, we call source, we call great spirit, we call many things. In quantum physics, they'll call it the quantum field. So there is an underlying substance. This is not make-believe. This we know by science. There is something, some energy, some source from which everything emerges, including us. This is important to know. It's important to know to understand this story. Because otherwise, when I say to you, you are Christ, you're going to go, no, that's God out there. No, it's the stuff of the universe you are made of. You are made of the same stuff as every holy thing you ever admired your whole life. That is who you are. And our great challenge in life is understanding that. So this is your goal. This is your substance. This is your, you have everything already in you. You were born with everything you need. And who you are is exactly who you're supposed to be. With all your blemishes and all your mistakes and everything else, the more we accept who we really are, the more those human ego-based problems begin to dissolve. So let's talk about the ego for a minute. Do you remember where, anybody here know this story really well? Where did Jesus go, or where did the kings go before they went to see Jesus? They went to see Herod, right? Herod was at that time, according to legend, and, and archaeologically it's believed to be legend, according to legend, Herod was killing the firstborn sons to protect his sovereignty. What does this tell us? According to Charles Fillmore, one of our co-founders, Herod represents our ego. That our, we have to go now. We have, seen the, we have seen the light. We know that there's something grand and amazing about us. But we get called to go see Herod, our ego, who goes... Get over yourself. We're not going to be that. That means we have to change. We have to change all. I like me the way I am. I don't want to change all everything about me. So I can be some holy whatever that is. Then our mind wanders back and goes, yeah, but pretty shiny thing over there. There's a star. Let's go back. And they come back to see the Christ child. And they bring these gifts. The reminder that you have everything you need. Frankincense, beyond being used as an incense, was most often used to heal the physical form. It was taken internally. It's an analgesic, an antiseptic, and an anti-inflammatory. And it was, was used to heal everything from leprosy to, to hemorrhoids. <laughs> right? Everything. You took frankincense to heal everything. What does frankincense tell us? What do you think? The gift of the kings is you have it all in you and you can heal the physical form. This will all become healed when you realize you already have this. Who are you really? Then they brought the gift of myrrh. So most often in, in stories that talk about frankincense, gold, and myrrh, 
They'll tell you that myrrh, because it was used for embalming, was indicative of the upcoming death of Jesus. I don't buy that. I don't buy it, and here's why. Because in Jewish culture, they don't embalm each other. And that's what it was used for in Egyptian culture. That's why people say, well, this, because it was an embalming agent, was there to tell us that it was there to tell us that Jesus was going to die in the end. Myrrh was used for something much different in the Jewish culture, which did not embalm anybody. In the Jewish culture, then you buried someone within 24 hours. Now I think it's three days, but they still don't embalm in the Jewish culture. So why would, why would this be given to them as an embalming agent? What they did use it for was teeth and mouth. It was used for brushing your teeth, for cleaning your mouth, for preparing a holy space from which to teach. It also was indicative of eternity. Not about embalming the body, but it was used in the, t- in the tombs to mask the smell as bodies were deteriorating because they didn't embalm the bodies. It was a reminder, a fragrance upon which the soul traveled to the divine. So the, the gift of myrrh tells us not only do we have all of this inside of us, but we have the ability, there are teachings, there are words available to us. We have the ability to speak from our divine self, to live from our divine self, to do something from our divine self. And we are eternal beings. If we don't get it right now, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to get better. How many of you have birthed an old soul, women? How many of you have a child that you looked in their eyes and went, oh my gosh, you've been here before? (laughs) Probably several times. How many of you know an old soul? Right? They just have a little bit more practice. We're eternal beings. We are learning to be who we are. So these gifts really mean something. They tell us, these, this story of the three kings tells us it's a journey. That we are guided by the light of the holy. That we have what we need. That our ego may try to distract us. But do you know the kings went back by a different road? They traveled a different way. They did not go back to the ego because once you know that you are Christ consciousness in action, once you really know that, your ego can never be in charge again. It simply isn't possible. So this is an important piece of the story about birthing our divine heart. Important to recognize that we really are the divine Every time I come up here on Sunday morning, I sit there for a few minutes and I take myself down a corridor and I meet the holy and I travel through a doorway and I say to myself, God around me, God through me, God as me. And that's how I start each week up here. That is, those words are really easy. God around me, and you can use any word, spirit, source, whatever works for you. But that is what is around you. It is the holy substance that you are, that you were emerged from. It is all that you are, and it is you in action. And so it is. 
I have some quotes for you. Paramahansa Yogananda said, Behold thine immortal self resurrected with Christ in the light of illumination, present in every soul, every flower, every atom. Wayne Dyer said, There is a universal intelligence that we call God or soul or spirit or consciousness, and it is everywhere and in all things. Neil Donald Walsh said, Gratitude in advance is the most powerful creative force in the universe. Charles Fillmore said, the highest and best work of imagination is the marvelous transformation that it works in character. Imagine that you are one with the principle of good and you will truly become good. And finally, Tom Rapsis said, Christ is a consciousness, a frequency, and offering to man from the creator to align to. Christ is, in essence, the vibration of God as realized in man.